Welcome to the Hub Roundtable. I'm Rudyard Griffiths, the Executive Director of the Hub. I'm joined by Sean Spear, our Editor-at-Large. Sean, it is the 10th of November. You're back from a couple days in Ottawa, and I want to start the show there. The kind of mood in the nation's capital, a sense of, I don't know, I don't want to say rats abandoning a ship. That might be a little too pejorative, but <laughs> something's going on. You You had a feeling in the city that suggests a shift is underway. Yeah, it, it, it's quite rem remarkable. Um, you know, Rudyard, there's a governments have preferences and rhythms and even kind of nomenclature that they're drawn to. And when a new government gets elected, it takes all of the adjacent organizations to government. I'm thinking, for instance, of industry associations or labor unions or nonprofit groups and think tanks and so on to kind of orient themselves in the rhythm and preferences and nomenclature of the government of the day. And what really struck me, having spent a couple of days in Ottawa, Rudyard, is all of those groups have in their kind of collective minds reached the conclusion that the Trudeau government is done. And they are now trying to put themselves, you know, change their mindset, so to speak, um, to reflect a Polyev government. And what's fascinating is that Polyev is not meeting with any corporate CEOs. He's refusing to accept any meetings. Um, and so he's something of an enigma, I think, to a lot of these people there. They, they, even if they are predisposed to the way he thinks and talks about, say, markets, there's still this high degree of uncertainty and unpredictability that has official Ottawa really scrambling. Uh, and that was my major takeaway um, that we don't know when an election is going to happen, but all of these players that you know kind of comprise official Ottawa have kind of made a judgment about that election and are now trying to envision what a poly of government means for the way that they think and talk and execute their advocacy work that you know that that uh that they're mandated to 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 advance yeah it's fascinating it reminds me a bit you know the previous life i ran something called the dominion institute and it was i guess seen as kind of adjacent to um a lot of the ideas that the then incoming prime minister stephen harper held you know respect and love of canadian history uh greater focus on national identity, not through the state, but kind of through the bottom up, through the, you know, the things that we actually share in common, the historical symbols and figures. And, and I remember getting pulled into kind of frantic meetings just before the Harper government formally took power after they had won the election. And this, this sense of like, you know, the barbarians are yes. at the gate, you know, do you speak Visigoth? <laughs> we need an interpreter. Um, and I, I, you know, I suspect, you know, debriefing with you, uh, there's a similar sense there. But Sean, I picked up for you something else this week that you sense that the, the abandonment of the government goes deeper, that something happened with their core constituency around this semi-reversal on the carbon tax, that there's a kind of acid that was released onto liberal-friendly often kind of elite opinion policy makers who have soured on this government in a way that they've never done in the past. Yeah, there's a lot of groups in Ottawa 
and and elsewhere in the country that um have for the past several years made the evidence-based case in their mind for the carbon tax and they recognize that governing involves trade-offs and they're you know they may not have loved everything the Trudeau government was doing but for them the carbon tax represented the kind of victory of evidence over politics and so they were prepared to continue to support the government Rudyard even in the face of declining public support because for them the carbon tax almost was like an identity issue um uh and I was struck I attended a a, a great event hosted by the Canadian Climate Institute, which would which is a uh, a think tank focused on on um, climate policy, and I spoke to a lot of people there, some of of whom you you know, and I was struck, Roger, um, how the decision on the carbon tax, which now is about two weeks ago, really kind of seems to have been a bit a pivot point for them, a moment when this last. Um, gasp of of evidence over politics uh, had been abandoned, and and their the rationale for them to continue to support a government that looks to be um, uh, heading towards defeat um, was was no longer there. We saw some uh, rumors this week, yet to be confirmed, that Mark Carney will be running in an Ottawa area seat in order to. Uh, to, I guess, kind of formally declare uh, publicly, politically as a, a liberal and no doubt a precursor to a leadership bid. I'm curious that you're sensing in Ottawa that that's really not part of how people are thinking about this moment. They are thinking about the transition to a Pierre Polyev-led conservative government. What do you think is going on there? Why isn't Carney maybe registering or part of the conversation? Is it is it a feeling that the momentum is just too big, too strong right now for the conservatives? And I wonder how that's affecting Carney's own calculations. Yeah, totally. Um, yeah, I, I, you know, of course, with all the caveats that things can change and blah, 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 the, the real sense was that the die had been cast. And so, yeah, in that sense, Carney has a calculus. Does he sit this one out? Um, or is there upside in in getting that experience in Parliament? Maybe even experience in a campaign in which expectations are relatively low um, and um, maybe outperforming. Um, but I want to put something to you about Carney. I was talking, I, I flew... Uh, back this morning at 5.30 from Ottawa. <laughs> so if I'm a, a bit off, I have an excuse. Um, but I sat next to someone, I won't I won't mention his name. And he said, he described Carney as um, essentially an Ignatieff 2.0. And I pushed back pretty hard. Um, we've had Mr. Ignatieff on Hub Dialogues. I thought it was a wonderful episode. And what struck me is that I think he recognizes that in hindsight, he was earnest and naive in almost a kind of charming way <laughs> like he really didn't seemingly understand what he was getting into and he essentially acknowledges that the conservatives did a a kind of number on him i think mark carney is way more calculating he's way more shrewd he's way more disciplined 
I'm not saying that he doesn't have challenges. You know, he, he, you know, in a moment of populism, he is, you know, the personification of Davos man. But I think the idea that his principal challenge is that he's a, a kind of wonky academic who doesn't understand pu- public communications and politics is totally wrong. Uh, what, 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 yeah, how would you react to that? I think, um, you know, Michael Ignatius fatal error was that politics is about killing the king. And Michael had a chance there and he didn't take it. And I think as soon as you don't take that chance and it's clear to all the actors around you that you don't have that killer instinct, uh, it's over. Um, and that demise happens quickly or slowly. I agree with you that I, I think Kearney probably has that killer instinct and maybe the people around him do. Um, it's a fascinating calculation on his behalf though. Eh? If, if he was to say, okay, what's a better outcome, a complete meltdown of the liberals to like 50, 60 seats with me um, elected, you know, in a safe Ottawa riding where I get to rebuild the party completely untainted and separated from, you know, the previous government. And at this point, a deeply unpopular prime minister versus a scenario that I have, you know, stock stop clock tells the right time twice, you know, twice a day. So I've been predicting this for a while with no success, but eventually I will get it right. You know, that, that Trudeau comes to a conclusion this, this fall or, or winter and does a kind of walk in the snow and steps aside. And then Carney is kind of forced yes. into a leadership, which is a very, it's a much more difficult calculation because there are going to be Trudeau supporters within the party. You are not going to be able to run against the prime minister and his record. Uh, and then arguably you go into an election with all the baggage that this prime minister is attached to the party and you lose. And, yes. you know, if someone said to me, in politics for a long time. They said, you know, you can run and lose once, but you can't run and lose twice. Yes. So you basically have used up one of your two cats lives at that point. And yeah, you could absolutely be the leader after that election where you've lost once, but you're damaged goods in a way, right? You're, you wear that loss. Uh, so I, I think like anything in politics, Carney's future is it's a narrow, narrow path. Yes. And it depends on the actions and the proclivities of other people, primarily this prime minister and what he does in the coming months. Yeah. Um, Andrew Coyne had a column this week where he put forward the scenario that if the prime minister was motivated by the best interest of the party, in light of the polling that we've seen, which hasn't changed, eh? Rudyard, even this week, not only has the government not closed the gap with the Conservatives, it looks like it continues to grow, including in the province of Quebec, uh, which is extraordinary. And so in, in that context, Coin makes the case that the that arguably in the interest of the party, the prime minister ought to go down with the ship, you know, turn himself into kind of toxic waste. Um, that perhaps enables the party to um, to restore itself faster with a new leader than it would if if it was a new leader that um, was ultimately responsible for the defeat in in 2025 or whenever the election comes. So yeah, there's a there is a, there's Carney's calculation, there's Trudeau's calculations, and then the kind of interrelationship between the two. But just the last thing I'll say, and um, and maybe permit you to close up this part of the conversation. Um, 
I'm increasingly convinced that Carney's the only alternative. Um, you know, having spent a couple of days in Ottawa, I can tell you people don't take Melanie Jolie seriously. Um, and her performance this week as foreign affairs minister, I think, affirms that. Um, you know, Francois Philippe Champagne is a name you hear sometimes. Um, the, the, this is the current industry minister, but I'm not sure he's someone who's going to be able to match um, the possible enthusiasm around around a candidate like Mark Carney. So I, you know, of course, a lifetime is a lifetime of politics and all the rest. But I, I kind of think that um, if the prime minister goes, the only logical conclusion uh, in my mind is is Carney for all of his strengths and all of his weaknesses. Yeah, great insights. Um, well, look, let's uh, take a quick break. When we're back on the other side, on the week that we celebrated the anniversary of Kristallnacht, we have a surge of anti-Semitism uh, across this country in all kinds of shapes and forms. We're going to get into it after the break. What the heck is driving this? Uh, is this accelerating in real time? Um Let's talk about it because it's an important conversation and we got it for you right after this break. Hey, Hub Podcast listeners, you're just one click away from getting access to all of the Hub's best content. Visit www.thehub.ca for our original journalism, commentary, wine reviews, poetry. We've got it all. The thinking person's one-stop destination for news and information is www.thehub.ca. While you're there, sign up for our complimentary Hub membership. You'll get delivered to your inbox each and every Saturday compilation of our best writing from the previous week again free for you right now at www.thehub.ca welcome back to the hub roundtable i'm Rudyard griffiths the executive director of the hub i'm joined by sean spear our editor at large well sean um a kind of a depressing week on the home front. Uh, I've got to say the progress on the war looks promising. Um, you know, every casualty, every idea of casualty is a tragedy, but only 35 service members killed. They are now in the heart of Gaza City, blowing up tunnels, taking out terrorists. I love it. But here back in Canada, we have had an ugly week. Uh, we've had a series of events. Um, Jewish cultural centers uh, attempted fire bombings in Montreal, an appalling scene of a professor in Quebec uh, involved in just an openly anti-Semitic attack on a student. Um, and we've got a Jewish community, you know, on edge uh, from coast to coast to coast. So what's going on, Sean? Is, are, I guess what I'm trying to understand is, is, is you know, is the fever going to break? Is Are we, or maybe... This is what worries me. Are we in the earlier stages of a crisis that is accelerating when it comes to the potential threats and risks that uh, the Jewish community now faces in Canada? I'm afraid to say I think it's the latter, Roger. I don't say that, you know, I say that with sadness. Um, but uh, I've been in Toronto and Ottawa now basically in the past two weeks, and um, the temperature seems really high. And, um, you mentioned the progress that the Israeli forces seem to be making and moving on to Gaza. That's obviously good news. Um, but it also means that the, the cat, the number of casualties and, um, of Palestinian civilians is going to increase. Um, and it seems to me in the environment that you just outlined, as we're confronted day after day in the coming days with 
um, Palestinian civilians and images of children and so on who were killed um, in this war, I think that that will put um, kind of a spark to the powder keg that is Canada's major cities right now. Um, you know, I, I've been thinking about this past couple of days. I'll turn it to you for a minute in a minute. I actually wonder, Rudyard, if this stands like a prime ministerial address. Um, you know, uh, the bully pulpit is has its limits. Um, but it, I think if there was a time for um, a prime ministerial address that, you, you know, kind of spoke to the kind of core ideas uh, about liberalism and pluralism, uh, I think it probably is now. Yeah, I agree. I agree, Sean. You know, I think of Barack Obama's, uh, you know, amazing speech when he was confronted by the reality of this former pastor of a church that he attended yes. in Chicago yes. had engaged in kind of openly, you know, racist uh, language. And he really, you know, Barack Obama could do that. Uh, he could give a speech that was more than just a speech. And I think if, you, if you're this prime minister and yes, you're down in the polls, you're fighting for every chance you have for survival, but there's something about understanding that there are responsibilities of this role yes. that extend beyond, you know, your political prerogatives. And, you know, yes, the prime minister was out this week with a strong Twitter condemnation of these attacks on Jewish community prayer centers in Montreal. Um, but, and look, I, I think Islamophobia is a real issue and threat in this complete asshole is being tried for, you know, multiple homicides for driving his truck over a Muslim family in Southwestern Ontario. That's yes. going on right now as it should, but this is a time for something that's focused on anti-Semitism. And I think our political leaders have to stop playing even Stephen at this moment. Every single pronouncement, every single tweet is, you know, on one hand, anti-Semitism, on the other hand, Islamophobia. I get that. They're both important issues. We can walk and chew gum at the same friggin' time. So I want to hear a prime minister. I want to hear leaders be much more clear about anti-Semitism. It's how it is unacceptable in the Canadian context and to speak out loudly and clearly on that one issue to try to proactively influence and stigmatize yes. those who would threaten and denigrate the Jewish community and the Jewish fact in Canada. I've been having conversations with a variety of Jewish friends and colleagues over the last few weeks. These are, you know, successful, in some cases, hard-driving people who are saying to me, and I really feel sadness about this as a Canadian, they're saying, for the first time in my life, I feel as if I could be unsafe in Canada as a Jew. Yes. It's not that they have experienced personally a moment of anti-Semitism. It's not as if they're going to leave the country, as many French Jews have or British Jews but something has changed for this community. They have lost uh, an unthinking feeling of security that is the right of every citizen in Canada. And we all have to get together and stand up for this and to try to help this community through this period and restore to them a sense of unquestioned security of person and property 
in Canada, full stop, nothing but nothing less. Yeah. Well said, Roger. Well said. Um, I just maybe react in, in, in a few different ways quickly. First of all, you described the characteristics of some of the people that you've been talking to. I've been talking to many of the same people or similar type people. The only other thing I would say about them is that most of them are pretty moderate. A lot of them are actually center left. Um, all of them are deeply committed to, um, uh, two-state solution and a better future for Palestinians and about um, calling out Islamophobia within our country. So these are not, you know, Zionist zealots or something like that. Um, and, 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 um, and, and so I think a lot of them are having a, it's particularly painful for them because a lot of their political allies are, um, are increasingly sort of on the other side, for lack of a better term. Um, the second thing I'd say is there's been a lot of talk about the right to free assembly and right of freedom expression. We've even had those lines of argument reflected at the hub for the past uh, month. And I, you know, I believe in them, of course. But you said something really important there, that we have to balance those rights with the rights of uh, Jewish citizens in our society um, to be safe from uh, threats and intimidation. And it seems to me what has played out in Canada over the past four weeks or so has tilted too far in the direction of the former and it's increasingly at the expense of the latter. And you only need to look at what's going on in London to see that if you get that balance right, a wrong rather, um, uh, things can spiral out of control. Last thing I'll say, and then I'll, I'll turn it back over to you. Um, I, I, I tweeted yesterday about how I was, how conflicted I was about what we're seeing in our country. And it's the most, uh, I've never had a tweet get that kind of reaction. It's extraordinary. I won't read it all to you, but I said, um, liberalism and pluralism. I, 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 first of all, I said um, that what I'm seeing doesn't sort of fit in my lived experience and my worldview. And I went on to say, liberalism and pluralism doesn't provide satisfactory answers to publicly funded university professors who promote the hatred of Jews or our fellow citizens who rally in the favor of the in favor of the destruction of Israel or government appointee who tweets about Islamophobia on the same day that a Jewish school in Montreal was subject to a shooting. I don't know the path forward, but I know when this is over, whenever it is, I can't go back to a time when I hadn't heard and seen what I've heard and saw over the past month. And, you know, you mentioned the Dominion Institute. You've dedicated your career to thinking and talking about social cohesion, national unity rooted in a common sense of citizenship. And it seems to me that's where we need to turn our minds to because it's been on display that we have a lot of rights in Canada, but we don't have accompanying responsibilities or obligations in the minds of a lot of our fellow citizens. Yeah, and I just I, I just want people who are, neither of us are Jewish, obviously, Sean, uh, to state just the bare facts here. But I think those of us as non-Jews have to understand how it's not simply, you know, these high-profile incidents that are, insidious these you know attacks on jewish synagogues prayer places what's going on in the you know college campuses across canada it's the thousand thousands of small acts of uh anti-semitism that i hear you know from jewish people that they are experiencing right now and these are you know these are really 
insidious things. You know, a woman I was getting my hair cut. The other woman was leaving with her daughter. My hairstylist told me this woman had just come off the subway and someone had spat at her and called her a Jew whore simply because she ethnically, you know, presents as a Jewish woman. I don't know what that means, but yeah, you could identify her as such. This person did, you know, and was just horrible in his behavior towards her. And you don't know, it could be a mentally ill person. It doesn't justify the effects or the consequences of what happened in that one social interaction. And I think we have to understand that this is going on hundreds of times, if not thousands of times a day across the country. And it's also being fed into all of us through our social feeds and these platforms that we're on that's sometimes taking the most outrageous content and feeding it into both communities, further antagonizing and polarizing people. So I just do not underestimate just because you're not Jewish and this isn't what you're going through right now, how many people are going through this and how much it's just happened in the last few weeks. This is an explosion going on right now of, of anti-Semitism acts big and small from, from one end of this country to the other. And I think the only thing we can say, and the only thing we leave with is just if you see it, boy, I wish I was at that subway station when that happened. If you see something like this happening, name it, shame it, call it out, stand up for the people who are being intimidated, who are being uh, attacked because of who they are and not anything in any shape or form that should be allowed or tolerated in this country. And I agree, Sean, I think the reason your tweet got so much action is that we all feel we're on the edge maybe of losing something essential about Canada, something that is just the beauty of this country, the the civility, the decency, the politeness, you know, uh, New York run by the Swiss, as uh, Peter Ustinov used to call Toronto. I want that back. I don't want to lose that. I don't want that, you know, that veil torn aside. And maybe it's not really true anymore, but God, please give me the illusion that it is. Yeah, well said. Well said, Roger. Um, I, I I agree with all that, and it and I think we, we you know you said earlier that we need to be able to walk and chew gum at the same time. Hillary Clinton said on the View uh, um, in a clip that we profiled this week at the Hub that different things can be true in your mind at the same time. We have to hold um, um, different ideas in our mind at the same time, and um you you mentioned politeness civility and so on we also at the hub value vigorous debate and um and the inherent contestation um that is part of a pluralistic society like all of those things can be true um arab canadians can be understandably concerned about what's going on to um the challenges that uh, Palestinians in Gaza are facing. Um, you know, no yeah, one is don't don't protest Jewish businesses. Okay. That's not cool. <laughs> exactly. That's the point, right? Like these things can be true at the same time. And I think that's I think that's um kind of what is so shocking to me 
um, is that this isn't pluralism. This is liberalism. This is something else. And um, and I think you're right. I mean, at the individual level, we need to call it out. Um, and I think at the kind of level of leadership, we need some people to lead. Um, um, yeah, argue, or, argue the issue, not the person. Yeah. Well said. Okay. It's the issue. It's not the person. Those Jewish businesses are just, they're coffee houses. They're not, it's not the state of Israel. Like it, it's a category confusion and it worries me, Sean. Anyway, we will talk and write and dialogue on this topic a lot more at the hub because I think it is, it's an important moment. And boy, uh, I hope the country is not in for a disillusionment on a grand scale because there's something special about Canada. And I worry that if we don't get this right, if we don't simmer things down, we could lose that. As always, great to talk with you this week, Sean. Uh, we are going to do that again each and every Friday here on the Roundtable. If you are not already a complimentary member of the Hub, become one right now for free. Go to our website, www.thehub.ca. Click on the Join button. Opt for the complimentary membership. You'll get Saturday edition of the Best of the Hub, our Top insight and analysis from the week that was delivered to your inbox each and every Saturday. It's a great weekend read. I recommend many espressos and <laughs> uh, many hub dispatches and viewpoints uh, to while away your Saturday. Again, do that right now at www.thehub.ca. Thanks for listening. We'll talk to you again next week. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to this edition of the Hub Roundtable. If you've enjoyed what you've just heard, come on over to www.thehub.ca and check us out. You'll find all kinds of great commentary, analysis, and insights by our writers, including Sean Spear. While you're there, consider clicking on the Join button. This will take you to our complimentary membership offer. Put in your email and we will send you each Saturday a compilation of our best writing and commentary from the week that was. We really appreciate your support, and we also greatly appreciate the support of the Linda Frum and Howard Sokolowski Foundation and the Maxine and Ira Gornowski Gluskin Foundation for making these podcasts possible. The Hub Roundtable is produced and edited by Amal Otter Guzman. Thank you for listening.